Hi, and welcome to the Hollywood Dream Maker Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Gallo. I'm a 35-year veteran actor. I'm the kid who came out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in my pocket and a one-way ticket when I was 18. Didn't know a soul out here, and I've been living my dream ever since. I've had an amazing career. I've been an Academy Award-winning film, blockbuster film, hit TV series. You name it, I've done it, and I got the IMDb credits to prove it. Six years ago, I opened up my own school, the Manhattan Actors Studio, where I found my true passion. That's teaching the craft of acting, but not only teaching the craft of being the guy. Success leaves clues. I know how to make dreams a reality. I did it for myself, and I do it on a daily basis for my students, and I can help you achieve yours. Welcome to my podcast. Let's get started. I am super excited to introduce my guest. He's the producer, creator, and host of the Passionate Few podcast with over 10 million listeners and 140,000 subscribers on YouTube. He has amassed a large following online, having interviewed over $10 billion of entrepreneurs, world leaders, and experts from all walks of life. I want to welcome Omar Elatar. Welcome to the Hollywood Dreammaker. Thanks for having me on the show, Billy. Honored to be here, man. Uh, excited to have you pick my mind and turn the tables on me this time. Well, you know, I, first I got to start by, by one, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And, you know, truly, I was inspired to create my podcast because of you. And I don't know, you know, if you know the story, but we met at a Tony Robbins event, a date with Destiny, right. one of the last live date with Destiny before the pandemic. It was December of 2019. That's right. And we just so happened, Destiny put us next to each other. You were like in the seat right next to me. And, you know, we started having a little bit of a conversation. And, you know, you told me, uh, you know, about your podcast. And you had told me you had, you were actually a guest of Tony Robbins. He invited you, gave you like a free ticket to come. And, you know, you were like backstage taking pictures with Tony. And, you know, you told me that, you know, about your podcast. And, and I... I looked it in, looked into it. And I, you know, I was like, podcast, and like a light bulb went over my head, and I was like, I need to create a podcast, and it was that in that moment that the seed was planted into my head to create the podcast. Wow, so man. you were the guy who who planted that first seed in in my mind, and I want to thank you for that. Awesome, man. Well, you're very welcome. And it's good to see that you have put sunshine and watered that seed quite well, man. So you're, you're, you've been at it. And, you know, I'm honored to, to be in the lineup. I know you got some epic people on and I think what you're doing is so cool. And a podcast is just such a natural extension of it. So it's cool that you can, you know, outside of the classroom, transcend those walls and bring new people in, man. So I'm honored to be on. Well, thank you. You know, it's been amazing. I mean, I truly, I, I, I had no idea how this podcast would impact my life, and not only my life, but lives of people around the world. I mean, I'm global, baby. You know, I got I got people <laughs> look at my stuff. I'm like, wow, I'm truly global now. You know, I'm not tied. You know, I've had my Manhattan Actors Studio here for seven years, you know, tied to the brick and mortar. But, you know, the pandemic kind of pushed me out there, you know, during the, I like to call it the fertilizer of the pandemic, you know, I said, okay, well, you know, that seed was planted. And I said, I'm going to make that dream a reality. And I just went after it. And now a beautiful thing came out of it, you know, through uh, of the, of the, because I didn't have time before it. And I don't need it. I don't need the, I mean, I love having my studio, 
But, you know, now I get to touch people in different states, different countries. It doesn't matter where you are. You can study with me. So it's been a, right. a real blessing. That's right. And, and that's why I think podcasting is such a great medium because you can reach people all over the world from literally your room or your office or from your place of choosing with the power of a mic. And then, and not only that, the people that you'll have access to simply because you got a camera and a mic on that otherwise may not give you the time of day or whatever. So it's awesome to see so many people really capitalizing on that and helping reach more people. And I'm honored to uh, see you doing the same thing. Yeah, it's cool. So, so I'm blown away with what you're doing. I mean, I, I do was looking at some of your stuff and the people that you've interviewed. I mean, you've interviewed some, you know, some high profile, <laughs> you know, billionaires, you know, and, and it's, it's amazing on, on how, you know, you, you made that a reality. So I want to go back. I created my podcast because I wanted to inspire young artists to follow their dream. If you have a dream, you have a passion, and this is in your heart, and this is what you want to do, then you go after it with everything you got, with a vengeance, and you see it, and you go after it, and don't take no for an answer, and you can make your dream a reality. Like for me, a kid from Brooklyn that came out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in my pocket, a one-way ticket, didn't know a soul out here. I just knew I wanted to be an actor. And then to make that dream a reality, if I can do it, why can't you? You know, so you created this amazing podcast that you're touching people. You're, you're getting all this wealth of knowledge out of their brains <laughs> and you're sharing it with your audience. I selfishly, that's why I wanted you on the show, because I know you've interviewed some billionaires and you really talk to you know people and you've gotten some real golden nuggets. So I just want to mine you for all those golden nuggets. So my, my listeners can get further faster where they want to go with their dreams. So Absolutely. how did this start for you? Well, it started for me in 2016. So not too long ago. It doesn't feel like it was too long ago, but you know, if I look at the numbers, it was five years ago. And the time i had had a bunch of odd jobs. I was in my mid twenties. I had pursued acting a little bit, fizzled out of that. I had pursued all these various things but just found myself not really getting momentum and getting overworked and underpaid, uh, or at least I felt like that. And so I was just trying to find my way. I was trying to find my purpose, my path, and you know, trying to, as any artists may, or anybody pursuing their dream or passion may know, you know, you hit a point many times in life, but particularly for the first time, maybe in your early twenties, where you're pursuing something and maybe not getting the results you want. You go, well, shit. You know, is, am I really cut out for this? And am I getting older? Should I really go for it? Right? You get those kinds of worries and insecurities. So long story short, I found myself in my mid-20s. It was at the time, I was 25, I think. I was just trying to figure it out. And so I did a bunch of odd jobs. I knocked door-to-door uh, selling solar for 100% commission, which is a very humbling experience, knocking on doors in 90-degree weather uh, for 100% of your income. So I did that for a while. I tried a bunch of just tutoring kids. I, I just tried a bunch of odd jobs. And I realized that I was either going to have to become wildly successful at a craft, start a company, or be phenomenal at sales. And you know, I couldn't figure out the craft part, couldn't figure out the business part, so I went to sales. So that's when I started trying to sell a bunch of stuff. Like I said, I knocked door-to-door in solar and wound up getting recruited for Tesla in the clean energy space. I did well in solar and at Tesla. But right around Tesla's where um, I kind of had that breaking point where I was making money, but feeling like shit, like everybody's like, oh, that's so cool. You work at Tesla and everybody around me thought it was so cool. But inside, I wasn't fulfilled. And Tony talks about that, you know, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And so I, you know, started making a little bit of money, but I found myself like spending it 
And in retrospect, I realized that I was self-sabotaging, right? Because what happens is when you're not fulfilled, you, you fill a void with something that is other than you know what your soul wants to fill it with. You try to numb it with all these other things, whether it's booze or drugs or women or whatever the vice is. And I indulged in all of those abundantly. <laughs> and, you know, long story short, ended up in a place in rock bottom, totally hated my job. I was showing up late. I started gaining a ton of weight and I was, you know, drinking and smoking way too much and just really just getting in a worse and worse place mentally, physically, you know, just in my entire being. And an ex-girlfriend at the time to to add insult to injury, she was kind of, her name was Emily. She was kind of like the only thing in my life that was, I thought, good or positive. So even she left me. So she broke up with me in 2016. And that's when the podcast was born because, you know, and I, I, I share this whole story because I'm trying to illustrate that the walls, at least in my mind, were caving in on me. It felt like, you know, I'd seen all my friends starting to do well. Here I'm in my mid-20s. I don't have direction. I was always a dreamer. I always told people I was going to pursue my dreams. And here I was with nothing to show for it, some commissions. And so when she broke up with me, that was it. You know, I had quit my job at Tesla. I had no money. I was overweight. I was literally just had nothing going for me. So when she left me, that was the final straw. And I found myself in my car crying, praying, smoking joints, like just kind of in this like, toxicity of trying to figure it out and wondering why I was working so hard and felt like I was getting nowhere. And so with my last $300 to my name, I contacted a life coach by the name of Dave Thorpe. He charged 250 bucks an hour. So I, I said, fuck it. I couldn't figure it out on my own. So I paid this life coach. His name was Dave. And we sat down and it was supposed to be an hour, but it ended up being like a three hour mastermind on you know what I was going to do with my life and what I was going to do to turn this pain into power instead of being negative and depressed and woe is me and focusing on the victim mindset, we flipped the script and, you know, said, you know, in true Tony Robbins fashion, you know, nothing in life has any meaning except the meaning that you give it. Right. And so, you know, in that moment, my coach reminded me that I get to choose if this breakup meant that I'm going to break down or I'm going to break through. Right. I, I choose the meaning. It doesn't just happen and hits me. And I, and forever the victim of it. And so for the first time in my life, I really took control of the narrative. And, you know, a lot of times you hear about personal development, but very so often you go, yeah, I know that. Why do you, you know, people say, why do you go to that Tony Robbins crap? It's all basic stuff. But implementing that basic stuff when times are hard, that's not easy, right? And Jim Rohn says, what's easy to do is also easy not to do. And at that time, when you're emotionally vulnerable, it wasn't easy to do. But Fortunately, in that coaching session, we put together a plan of how I was going to turn this pain into power. And I didn't know it would turn into a podcast, but we started taking ingredients, right? He's like, what are your skill sets? What are your strengths? I said, well, I love talking to people. You know, if life were perfect, I would inspire millions of people. I would find a way to make a lot of money passively. I would have inspiring conversations with people. I would just go on a journey of sorts. And so, you know, we didn't know how that would come together, but, you know, little by little, we didn't focus on the entree. We just sort of isolated the ingredients on paper of what I had, put all those ingredients down and came up with a game plan to film one interview on someone's inspiring story. So we filmed one interview and the ball started rolling from there and the rest is history. <laughs> wow. Who was your first interview? My first interview was a guy by the name of Cliff Braun. He was a guy I met at a gas station. I didn't know who to get for interviews or how to go about it or whatever. I had no clue. But uh, I was at a gas station shortly after that coaching coaching session, maybe within a week or so. Interesting how coincidences show up when you commit first. 
but I was at a gas station and I saw this guy who looked like he was in his 30s. And he was with his brother and there was these girls and they had like a Ferrari and another like supercar. And these guys just looked like they were having the time of their life. And I'm sitting here thinking, holy shit, why am I struggling and living in this rut in my mind? And these guys are, you know, frolicking in Ferraris, going to the beach with these beautiful girls. And he looked super young. And I just approached him at a gas station. I said, you know, excuse me, man. I hope you don't mind me asking. I love your Ferrari, man. But, you know, it looks like you're, you're living, man. If you don't mind me asking, what do you do? And so he's, he told me he had a business and what he did and sort of gave me a little bit of, of context. And I said, well, you know, I have a podcast. I didn't at the time. It was just a thought in my head. But I said, you know, I have a podcast and, you know, like we interview people with amazing stories and we have a bunch of new episodes coming out. And by the way, we had nothing. I, I, we had nothing whatsoever. But I just told him that. And I said, you know, I'd love to interview you on the show sometime to pick your mind about your story. And he was like, yeah, sure. So he ended up giving me his phone number. We hit it off. And then, you know, I think like two or three weeks later, we actually filmed it. And, you know, it, it, and it didn't get a ton of views or downloads or anything. But, you know, little by little, you know, as I kept going on the journey, one view turned into 100, turned into 1,000, turned into a million. Now we're over 10 million listeners. But at the time, it was just one, you know, the power of the one in front of you instead of getting overwhelmed with how am I going to do it? How's it going to work? How am I going to get big name? I didn't think about all that. I just focused on capitalizing on the one opportunity in front of me. And, you know, the, the domino started to fall after that. It's awesome. One brick at a time, one step at a time. You know? That's right. That's, that's amazing. So you've interviewed these amazing guests, you know, can you name who some of the guests that you've interviewed? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We've had, you know, the Grant Cardone's, the John Paul DeJoria's, the, you know, authors of The Secret, The Law of Attraction. A lot of people have heard about that. But we've had people like Tarek from Flip or Flop, you know, real estate moguls like Manny Koshpin. You know, we've had on different professional athletes and all sorts of people. I can't even remember all the names, but it's, you know, it's been a journey. You know, John Paul DeJoria, he's the context. He's the multi-billion dollar founder of not one, but two companies, which is Patron Tequila and Paul Mitchell. So, you know, we've, we've had people from all walks of life, men and women who've come from unbelievable odds to turn their life around. And, uh, you know, I've just been fascinated by that story. Another one is creator of Hot Cheetos, creator of the Billion Dollar Hot Cheetos product, who was a janitor making $3 an hour. And he had this whole thing where he went from $3 an hour to, you know, now being the creator of, you know, the best-selling snack product in the country to the tune of billions. So it's just, I've always been fascinated and obsessed with how people can go from a low point to a high point and what the sort of catalyst uh, what the events were that catalyzed that process to help them go from an average person like me or you to transcend in a momentum to make the impossible a reality i've always been obsessed with that so yeah that that's kind of where the where the passion and obsession began for those stories so what are these billionaires millionaires you know the people who've turned their lives around what do they have in common what did you find what is the the secret formula <laughs> I found a couple common denominators one of them that I find is that they're not very, very logical or rational about the whole thing and that was pretty surprising and they, sometimes they didn't even know it you know sometimes what what makes people as great at what they do as as they are Sometimes they don't even know because it's just they're in such a momentum with it. Like, for example, Billy, like, you know, when you came to L.A., there was no, you know, it doesn't make rational or logical sense that you would, you know, do a couple auditions and then 
lo and behold, things would happen and you'd be on, you know, 21 Jump Street, right? Like that doesn't make rational or logical sense. But at the time, you were probably just taking such massive action in any direction you could trying to get the flame lit that you didn't even know when people asked you how it happened, it makes much more sense rationalizing it backwards than forward. And so what I find is most people who are stuck in life or who are broke in life or who just end up with that victim mindset, I find that a common denominator that they have is that they're much more logical about it than people who actually get their dreams. I find that the people that get their dreams are much more, and maybe to a fault, emotional about it, much more in flow about it, much more um, pulled by it than pushed, you know? And I think those are two very different emotional experiences, right? Because on the surface to everyone else, it looks, it might look the same, right? Somebody who's pushing themselves to work hard. But when you're pulled to do something, there's a power there that's irrational. You know, I, I don't think, I don't think the best athletes in the world logically analyze why they have to get up and do that sport or craft or hobby. Uh, same thing with acting. You know, I don't think, while it may look like a discipline on the outside, I, I would I would argue that most of the time, especially with the best of the best, it's more of a pull. They're compelled to do it. That is their laying on the couch, eating Cheetos, you know, being lazy. Their default is the work, is the push, is the craft. And, you know, and you can't fake that. I don't think you can um, trick yourself into that. I think that that's a huge common denominator, right? That they're irrational about. And because you're, you know, if you're, if you take a rational, look at Elon Musk, how irrational do you have to be to run SpaceX, Tesla and Solar City in the same 24 hours that me and you are having a hard time finding a 30 minute workout in, right? Like that's, that's irrational. But, you know, when you put work behind that irrationality for a sustained period of time, you know, you, you get lucky, right? The harder you work, the luckier you get. So I find that that's a common denominator. Two more quick ones I find are great teams or environments, meaning that usually there was a buddy with them that was kind of in on it, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, Topher Grace, or, you know, whatever, whatever the parallel is in business, the two guys that founded Google. A lot of times credits go to entrepreneurs individually, but if you, if you kind of dig a little deeper, you'll find that most of the time there were great partnerships, great investors, or great facilitators to help momentum build. Very rarely was it ever one guy and one guy alone. You know, Look at Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. I mean, there's countless examples in, in all walks of life and in all industries that there's a power of environment or good, you know, having a good quality of people around you, helping you, holding you accountable. And then the last thing, number three, is time. They all put in the time. One of the best interviews I've ever had was with this real estate mogul. His name is Manny Koshpin. And he talks about the time is magic. You know, sometimes it doesn't, time isn't linear in success journeys. You know, even John Hamm, you know, you're familiar with the actor John Hamm from Mad Men, right? He talked about this concept in one of his interviews. And I think it's totally true where you think early on in your journey that success is this linear thing, right? Like you'll do good year one and then year two, you'll do a little better. And then year three, you'll do a little better and you'll be on the choo-choo train to success. But most of the time, it's more like a roller coaster of up and down in between. It's shit, da da da. And then maybe somewhere around year 11, you get the opportunity of a lifetime that elevates the whole game, you know? And most people don't necessarily wait till that year 11. Now, whether that year 11 happens in year two or three or five or 20 is irrelevant, but there's a magic in time and nobody knows when their time is going to come. All you can do is put in the work to prepare for it so that you can capitalize on it when it does. But I find that those are the three core. There's a lot of things, but I find that the core, 
those are the three common denominators that I see the most. An irrational commitment or pull to the, to the vision of what they're trying to do, an environment that's fostering that growth, and then last but not least, putting in the work over sustaining a period of time and not being like, oh, I'm only willing to work hard if it happens in a year or two, but just saying, fuck it, I'm going to work hard until it happens. And sooner or later, if you hold on to it long enough, you know, it can't do anything but become real. Somebody has to have it, right? Somebody has to get that role. Somebody has to start that business. Somebody has to live in that house. Somebody has to marry that woman. Somebody has to marry that guy, right? Whatever it is, somebody's going to have to get that thing that you have in your mind. And it's probably going to be the person that deserves it. And, it and so, quit. yeah, that doesn't quit until they get it. So Because a lot of people give up at that one yard line. You know? Yes. And, and they don't know it because in life, there's no markings on the yard lines. So they don't know where they are in space. Totally, totally agree with that. Love that. Hard work and, and never giving up. You know? Time is magic. And, and, you know, truly knowing why, right? Why? Mm-hmm. Why? Why do you want this? What's your yeah. why? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think to speak to the why thing, you know, when I look at the space, for example, look at Tony, right? Tony Robbins criticized today. But imagine this guy coming out 40 years ago like pioneered an industry and he still dominates the personal industry today how many people have tried to emulate tony copy tony right morph it into their own thing and yet he's right there still the king of the of the universe and his and his craft and his vertical and i think it's because exactly what you're saying it's a why he's not trying to reverse engineer it to sell it he is so sold on it that it translates you know what i'm saying i even and, and i know i keep making parallels to acting but I saw this thing with De Niro, I think, where he talks about like when you're acting drunk, a bad actor tries to act drunk. A good actor tries to act like they're not drunk, mm-hmm. you know, because when you are it, it is felt when you're trying to be it. You know, it's a, it's a very subtle difference. But like some people try to be the thing and some people are the thing. And when you are the thing, I find that that's when things happen. You know, even with me, with the show. I didn't, you know, I know a lot of people that say, oh, I want to start a podcast. Oh, that would be cool to connect with this person or that person or start a show or build passive revenue online or start an online business like I have or, you know, whatever the thing is. But I always tell people like, you don't really want it because, and I don't mean to be harsh, but like, if you really wanted it, you would be in process. You would be in the, the work, you know, same people say, oh, I want to be an actor. I want to be like, are you auditioning? Are you, are you studying? Are you or is it just a mental, you know, aspiration? So yeah, I think that's huge, man. I think when you when you are it over a sustained period of time, the universe starts to go, all right, fuck it. I guess he's serious and and, and gives you what you want. You know, I, I do find that that happens more often than not, more often than just luck. Yeah, I believe you make your own luck. Listen, you know, it's it's right. about massive action. You know, I mean, listen, when I think about when I go back and I think about, you know, I had a dream. I took massive action. I bought a one-way ticket to Hollywood. I did not have a return ticket back. So there was no boat back. You know, you want to take the island, you know, burn your boat. There was no boat. Right. That was it. Failure was not an option. If I got to the studio gate and the guard said, sorry, kid, you can't come in, I'd walk around, i climb over the fence, and I'd be on the lot. <laughs> so don't tell right. me I'm not coming in. I'm going in, you know? So right. I didn't take no for an answer. Having that determination and Failure is not an option. I'm going to do this and watch. watch. If the door's there, I'll kick the fucking door down. She's my friend. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you don't mind me asking, Billy, and I know your audience may have heard it before. Can you share that story once more of like once you came to, to California, 
how you even got your first audition? Like what were the doors, so to speak, that you had to get through to even just get a shot at an audition? Well, you know, it's, it's, you know, we talked about having the seed planted in your head. You know, I, I, you know, I don't know if you know my story, but you know, my, the younger Billy, the 15 year old 60, I ran away from home when I was 15 years old. I was running the streets, getting into trouble, you know, doing, you know, looking up to wise guys in the streets, you know, doing dumb shit. And I had right. gotten in trouble and I had been arrested and I had to be brought back to my mother's custody. And all of a sudden, you know, I had left her for, and I hadn't talked to her for a year. And all of a sudden I have to, I'm back at the house. And I was literally like watching TV and there was a TV show called The Fall Guy with Lee Majors, a $6 million man. And I'd watch it because it was about Hollywood and stuntman. And it was, and I envisioned myself you know, doing that. Like, I want to do that. That's, I can, I'm, I'm going to do that. So, you know, when yeah. I, when I turned 18 and, you know, I, I was like, I was at the racetrack. I won a couple hundred bucks. My friend said, what are you going to do with the money? I said, I'm going to Hollywood. So I packed my bag. I came out here. I had 200 bucks. The 200 bucks ran out real fast. You know, I found a little rinky dinky motel, you know, and then I knew I had to get an agent. So I got a list of agents from like the Screen Actors Guild. And I literally, this is before cell phones. This is before any maps, you know, none of that. So I literally went door to door, banging on, you know, Hollywood, going down El Centro, going down all these streets in Hollywood, wherever there was an agency from the A's and the B's and the door slammed in my face, you know, the C's, no, 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 no. But I kept knocking and I found this one guy at Y, the Yenes Talent Agency. <laughs> so I had to go through all the, the whole alphabet to get to why, but I stopped. How many doors? How many doors do you think you knocked on, give or take? Oh, I knocked on I don't know. I would say fifty more. You know, I mean, I locked. Wow. There were a lot of. I found the book. I have it on my wall over here in a in a yeah. frame. You know, I'll pull it real quick. It's right here. This is my list of. It was what it was from the Academy Plays directory, and it had all these agents and i literally went down the agents you know see i circled them and i, I went on okay this is an a this is an a you know and i started knocking on wow. doors and you know i didn't give up you know there were a lot of no's but i kept banging on the door and then eventually i walked into one guy you know it was a rinky dinky agency you know small you know i mean I, he was a character you know i mean the first time i met him he opened up his his draw to his desk and he said you want a shot of tequila <laughs> you know <laughs> And he had a stack of Polaroids with girls with their, you know. Yeah. I was like, whoa, I'm out of here. And I was literally walking out the door and he said, wait, wait, wait. He says, there's a show, uh, The Fall Guy. They're looking for a, the, the Fall Guy. I turned around and went, what? That's yeah. the show I used to watch. And he said, yeah. they were looking, they were looking to cast a role and it was a guest starring role. And the character's name was Billy. <laughs> no way. The character's oh, name was shit. Billy. I said, you oh. give me that audition. I said, I'm going to get that part. I said, that's mine. It's got my name yeah. all over it, right? So Literally, he got yeah. the audition. It was a 20th Century Fox. I was living in Van Nuys. I had to take five different buses to get to the thing. I show up to the studio, and there's a bunch of actors in the lobby with leather jackets on. You know, he was a bully. He was bullying kids to deal PCP. So, you know, there was this, you know, a bunch of kids with leather jackets, you know, troublemakers, actors from Beverly Hills with their jacket. I was right off the streets of Brooklyn. <laughs> you know, my jacket was real. My, my, so <laughs> yeah. I, I walked in it and I had a diamond pinky ring that said Billy on it. Yeah. And I literally went to every one of the actors in the lobby and I showed them my fist with the Billy. And I said, what does that say? 
Billy, that's me. You can go home. <laughs> I literally told everybody to yeah. go home. And then I got into the room with the casting director and I, the scene was, I'm threatening this kid. Let me tell you something about me. I'm either going to be your friend or your enemy. So it's up to you and remember your buddy. Not So I did not know better, but I reached over and I grabbed the casting director out of her chair and I started threatening her. And as I'm saliva and things, she goes, time out. She goes, time out, time out. She goes, okay. She goes, number one. She goes, never, ever, 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 ever put your hands on a casting director ever again. And I was like, mm -hmm. ah, it's my first audition. I didn't know. She goes, number two. She goes, you're not leaving town, are you? I go, no, why? She goes, because you got the part. She goes, oh, but you yeah. can't tell the other actors in the lobby because I got to read them out of courtesy. I said, oh, okay. I walked down the lobby. I said, go home. She told me I got the job. So <laughs> you never, you never want to do any of that, any of that. But that yeah, job yeah. got me my Screen Actors Guild card. She taff hardly me. And so you got your first audition ever. Ever, yeah, in Hollywood. And then I was on the set filming The Fall Guy. It's like I climbed into my television. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's Heather Thomas and Lee Majors, and it was, it was bizarre. But, you know, the, I truly believe we have the power to envision what we want and see. Did, did you hold that in your mind consciously? Like, was being in that show in particular something that you loosely wanted or was it something you just saw over and over and thought about acting or was it like i want to be on that show if you could go back to like yeah. your mind at the time so i i knew i wanted to be an actor you know mm. from very young you know when i was 11 you know i there was a, they were filming a movie in my neighborhood that's when i got bit by the acting bug you know but then i got you know streets like you know yeah. Like everybody told me laughed at me when i said i wanted to do it and you know it's like yeah. i would believe that I, I could actually do it you know um, but you know, Heather Thomas, the blonde on the show, <laughs> you know, I was, yeah, yeah. I like, I like the show. I like to watch that show. You know, you know, I, Lee Majors, I grew up watching him on the $6 million man. So I used to watch the show all the time. Oh, shit. Was, you were know, you nervous? Were you nervous or were you more ready than anything? I was ready. I mean, it's, you know, here's a lesson that I teach my actors about the art of the audition. I learned a very, very powerful thing on that very first audition. Okay. One. You never, ever want to do what I did. You never want to have confrontation with an actor. You never want to touch a casting director. You never want to do any of that. But here's the beauty of the valuable lesson that I learned was one, I owned the lobby. That lobby and that casting, I owned the lobby. The character was Billy. He was a bully. As far as I was concerned, I was Billy. Okay? I knew. I, I had that confidence walking in that there, there is, I am Billy. I got the ring to prove it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Confidence. So how do you do that as an actor? Well, that's the work, you know, making those choices, knowing where you come from, having the wardrobe, you know, doing all of that. You know, what's my previous circumstance? Who am I? You know, all of that. So you, when you walk into the lobby, you know more than everybody else. I know my right. character. I know my character's backstory. I know what happened when they were five and the, the dad and their mom and everything. I guarantee you the other actors in the lobby, they have no idea. They just memorize some words on a page and they're trying to survive the audition and hope somebody likes them. Right. You're coming in with a different, you're more in play. I was like, I, I, this is mine. I got this, you know? Then yeah. when I walked into that room, well, what did I do? You know, well, I ran into that casting director and I thanked her, you know, for giving me my SAG card and giving, you know, that I I could survive in Hollywood because of that paycheck. And she said, you know, she said, you scared the shit out of me, kid. <laughs> so I was like, light bulb. I made her feel something. What, what was the given circumstance of the scene was I was bullying another kid, trying to put fear into him to get him to deal drugs. 
Well, that's exactly what I did. I put fear into that casting director. I made her feel something. Mm. I was like, hmm, that's your job as an actor is to make them feel. If it's a comedic peak, make, make them laugh. If, if it's a horror, you make them scare the crap out of them. You know, whatever it is, that's your job as an actor to go in there and make them feel something. You know, that's why people right. go to a freaking movie theater and they want to go in a dark little theater. They want to feel something. That's your mm. job. And then walk out confident. I, did, I walked out pretty freaking confident, man, when I walked out of that room because she <laughs> told me I got the job. That's my one time in my career that I've ever been told in the room I got the job. But you wow. as an actor is when you're leaving that audition, you want to walk out and you want to be thinking to yourself, man, I just rocked this audition because it's that behavior that they're going to see. And, you know, it's an ounce of behavior is worth a pound of words. If I'm a casting director and I see that behavior, you're telling me you did good. And then the other actors in the lobby, while they're sitting out there, you walk out with a big-ass smile on your face, confident, and they go, you get them out of their game before they even go in the room. Now they're there, and oh, he did good. <laughs> so, right, yeah. Right. So, yeah, yeah. so, yeah, I truly believe that we have the power to vision what we want and make it a reality. I'm sitting I believe this studio I believe here. This studio here was created. You know, you talked about being pulled to something, you know, and you also talked about what Tony says about, you know, the ultimate failure. What was that quote you said? A success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. Yeah. Success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. You know, and I've been blessed. I've been very successful and I've had an amazing career in Hollywood. And there were times, you know, that I had all the stuff, the material stuff. There was a time in 2000, I was producing a movie. I was the, the lead in the film. I was, you know, I had the loft and Soho. I had, you know, I had all the stuff. I was miserable. Mm-hmm. I was miserable and I couldn't figure out why I was miserable. And this studio, it used to be about me, 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 you know, ego. It was me. It was all about me. And that was very not fulfilling. Mm-hmm. But once I found it's not about me, it's about how do I be of service? How do I right. contribute to other people's lives? And that's when I found my, and it's funny that it came in date with destiny, you know, like. You know, truly, I mean, my destiny, like this is my destiny. Having this podcast is my destiny, you know, and I got it out of that, you know, being a teacher, being of service. I mean, it's so much more rewarding for me when I have some actor text me and say, hey, I got my SAG card or I got that part. I got that or this and that and that. And, and that happens all day long. I mean, if I had a freaking nickel for every time, you know, I get a text or a thing, you know, I'd be loaded. But to right. me, that's more rewarding because it's, it's really about making a difference in somebody else's life. You know, I mean, I think this secret to living is giving, right? It's being a, you know, of service. That's right. What you do, you know, and 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 it's true. And that's also why I called the show the passionate few, because only a few people will actually be courageous enough to do that, and to do it over sustaining a period of time. You know, most people will never do it, but that's why that's why it's not about most. That's why it's about the few, passionate few. (laughs) Love that, man. So, you know, you've created a brand. I mean, like a, a, the passion of you is a brand, you know? I mean, you, you know, like you're interviewing Dean Graciosi and Tony Robbins. I mean, you know, at some point you probably were like listening to their stuff and looking up to them. And all of a sudden now you're rubbing elbows with them. I mean, how, oh, how does that? I mean, how does that? It's, uh, it's surreal. It's surreal. I mean, even to the degree of seeing the movie Wolf of Wall Street with Jordan Belfort, right? Played by Leonardo DiCaprio. And I remember seeing that movie and going, holy shit, wouldn't that be cool to interview him? Fast forward, and, and I think in 2019, almost actually exactly two years ago, Jordan Belfort interviewed me. Like They invited me to be on his show. 
so Jordan interviewed me on my story and, and our business and our show and, you know, everything we've done there. And, you know, and I, it's funny cause I still have the notebook where I wrote down all these names. Like I wrote down, like, I see myself. That's how my coach always had me write it down. I see myself so that it was in the present tense, not in a future tense. Like I see myself It's actually a very insightful thing that he's helped me with. And I've never let it go is, you know, a lot of people, when they dream, they dream of the dream over there, not from the, pers- not like being in the dream, like from the eyeballs perspective. And when you have the dream or when the dream occurs, if it does for you, you won't experience it as an out there movie. You experience it in your eyeballs. When like, when you were on the show, you were on set, you were like at eye level on set. There's, you know, there's the cat, you were in it. You weren't watching Billy do it. You were in it. And most people, what happens is they subconsciously program themselves to keep on dreaming it by seeing it over there. And I know this seems like a lot of depth, but the point is important. I I believe in that. Like once I made that switch to like, see it as a present tense, like I see myself, it's unbelievable. I literally wrote down, I see myself in the room. I see myself befriending Tony Robbins. I see myself Jordan Belford and da, da, da. And the list goes on and on of all the names that I would end up going to connect with to where now it's about getting to a higher tier. You know, in the business sector, we've got a lot of names and we still have a lot of exciting ones coming up, but we definitely want to transcend just the business sector to not just Hollywood, but also philanthropists and people from all walks of life doing amazing things, not just in business, but it literally started with like, I see myself in the present sense, I see myself with Tony Robbins. I see myself with Jordan Belfort. I see myself, you know, and sometimes I look back and I'm like, holy shit, those words popped out of the page and into reality. And it trips me the hell out. Cause it's like, whoa, this personal development stuff's real. Like that's not a, that's not a coincidence, you know? And, and when it happens over and over and over and over again, I mean, to the degree that, you know, Goggins, I'm sure you've heard of David Goggins. I was in Vegas, uh, maybe six months ago or so. <clears throat> I was at the Winter, the Encore. I was at the the Encore Hotel in Vegas, and you know we were. I was out with my buddy. We were hanging out in the lobby, or whatever, and we're we're about to catch a, a cab to go grab dinner or something. And we're going to grab a cab to leave. And so uh, while we're waiting for the cab, we literally were talking about Goggins maybe fifteen twenty minutes prior. And while we're waiting there, wouldn't you know? Lo and behold, walking by himself in person in the flesh is David Goggins right in front of us. And, I, and I'm just like, holy fucking shit, like, no way. Like, there's just no way that that, you know, is that easy? Like, how does that, like, that's crazy that, you know, and that's happened to me so many times, whether it's like, you know, like the Tony thing or like just, there's just been so many with Jordan Belfort, like they reached out to me. It didn't, you know, it, it came to me. I didn't pursue it or whatever. Now my actions may have manifested the pursuit of it, but like, that's what I find is like, and that goes back to the time is magic thing, but literally went up to Goggins, talked to him and it was easy. It was fluid. He, he gave me the contact info to set up a, a interview with them. We like built a good rapport and talked to him a little bit. And I was like, holy shit, like you couldn't have even planned that better. And he literally was just walking right past us in Vegas by himself, took a photo with him. And, you know, and I just, I remember looking up and I'm like, all right, God totally lined that one up. You know, that wasn't, I can't take credit for that, you know, but I I do find that when you're in momentum and you're in a flow and you're conscious and intentional, you know, that's why, you know, I firmly believe that's why the rich get richer. I don't think it's, you just keep getting luckier and luckier. I think the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, for lack of better expression, because the mindset becomes habitual. You know, when you, when it rains, it pours, you know, when people complain, I'm sure you've seen it, right? 
when someone something doesn't go right, they talk about it more and more and they go, yeah, and then there was traffic and then this and then that. And then, but another person could have had that exact same reality. There could have been traffic for them. There could have been all sorts of bullshit. Someone died, some whatever happened, but because they're focusing on what they do want, not what they don't want, they notice more of it. And so it pops up, right? It's possible that someone else was talking about Goggins, but because their head was down, they didn't look up and see him walk right by. You know, it's it's those little subtleties that once programmed up here, you know, the frequency elevates. And and not only that, people living their dreams on that elevated frequency, they recognize it when you're on the same frequency. And so they want to drop the ladder down for you, connect with you. So I believe there's a lot of those things at play that most people never tap into because they think of life as a they think of themselves as like a pinball on a pinball machine and they just hope they're going to bump into something that makes them lucky. You know, and that's very two ways of looking at life. Those are two very different ways of looking at life. I, I agree 100%. You know, let's talk about that a little bit. Mindset. Yep. You know, I mean, you've interviewed some, some people in that genre that, I mean, what, what, what kind of takeaways have you gotten? I mean, who have you interviewed? You know, what's your mindset routine? Yeah. So it's a couple of things. So I've interviewed people who, you know, a lot of, you know, just to go to the business stuff, I've interviewed people that have done, you know, hundred millions in revenue, billions of dollars in revenue. And what's fascinating is that they're all totally different. <laughs> and so trying to decipher common denominators among such different people for me was kind of tricky because, you know, one guy goes to sleep at 9 p.m., wakes up at 4 a.m. He's in the gym by 4.30. He's got the whole discipline, you know, nonstop. And he's got a hundred million dollar company. Another guy, you know, stays up till three in the morning working on stuff, wakes up around 11 and runs the business like that. But to compensate for it, he does that, you know, seven days a week instead of the other guy who's disciplined at five. And he's got a $500 million company. And their habits were like that when they started. They didn't just get there later. But, you know, there's been such differences in it. But one thing I do find is the, the consistency thing. And that is huge. That And that is probably the most, in my opinion, underrated factor of any individual's success or competence is their ability to be consistent even when shit sucks, right? Like their ability to be consistent at the craft, at the work, whether they're broke or they're highly paid, right? You know, I'm sure you've seen it too. Like how many times you've seen an actor who put in work and 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 really worked on the craft and then got a couple checks and started to rest on their laurels, started going out start working on start, and then little by little the dream slips away because they thought they were hot shit and it was them not their work ethic so that's that's huge i mean mindset wise i find that consistency is colossal and most people that i think they get started they get excited they go to a seminar or they read a book or they watch an interview or they get inspired they work at it for a day or a week or a month or a year and then it fizzles out and then on to the next exciting thing right the thing I find with people that really sustain, you know, success in their craft or momentum in their life are the people that live by the mantra of what got you there will keep you there, you know, and that's huge. And again, it's, it's not a, you know, you might think like after all these interviews, you'd tell me something much more brilliant than that. But, but no, I've really deciphered that it's really the simple things done well, more than it is these big, complex, crazy ideas that, that help people do well. And then the other thing, and this is my favorite thing I've ever learned, is that nobody knows what the hell they are doing. And if I'm allowed to cuss, I would say nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. You know, when I interviewed John Paul, he runs two multi-billion dollar companies. And he's like, you know, this big guy in his office in Beverly Hills. I mean, try running one billion dollar company, let alone two. 
And I asked him, this is why I love what I do. I just get to ask questions all day. So I asked him, I said, is there ever a time where you're looking around, you know, you guys got, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue a month. You've got thousands of employees, you know, tons, you know, you got shareholders, you got all sorts of stuff. Are there ever times where you sit down and go like, like, what, like, am I even capable of this? Like, what the hell am I even doing? Like, how is this real life right now? And he goes, Omar, every fucking day. He goes, he goes, the big secret is nobody knows what the hell they're doing. Presidents don't know what they're doing. World leaders don't know what they're doing. For lack of better expression, everybody is kind of winging it. But some people are just better at winging it than others. But nobody actually deserves to be in the, nobody actually deserves to run the free world as president. Nobody deserves, you know, quote unquote, to, you know, be in positions that influence tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people. They might deserve it from how they work their way there, but nobody innately is born with this perfect ability to handle everything. And I remember when he told me that it was such a liberating uh, confirmation of what I've heard over and over again. And that is that like everything in this world is made up by people who are no smarter than me or you. And they just cultivated it differently over time. And that's where the separation happened. But at a foundational level, we all have the same 10 fingers, two eyes, our skin is made of the same material. We all have teeth, eyes, generally the same height. Our brain is made of the same matter, right? We're generally the same physical being, intellectual being, but how we, how we sort of develop that resource, that's the difference. Meaning we, our conscious being does more to create our reality than our unconscious or our natural, you know, physical, mental attributes, you know, you know, that to me is huge mindset wise, because you asked about it is, you know, this notion that, oh, easy for him because X. But the reality is that like, everybody's just as imperfect as me or you. So what one man or woman could do, another can too. And the sooner you grab onto that, the sooner you realize, holy shit, I have control over my life. You know, same thing when I interview real estate investors, you know, a lot of them got into the game in their 40s or 50s or 60s. Invariably, every single real estate investor I've ever talked to when I ask them, you know, what their biggest regret is or advice they have to people are, these are high net worth. We're talking hundreds of millions net worth. They'll always tell me invariably that they wish they did it younger. They're, they wish they did it sooner, but they were um, disenchanted by this notion that it was bigger than them, right? That it is more complex than them. And so I think that's one lesson I try to remind myself is to think bigger sooner, you know, waiting for permission or waiting till you're ready. You know, if you waited till you were ready for that audition, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now. You know, even Tarek from Flip or Flop. So he's become a good friend of mine. A lot of people know him from the HGTV show, Flip or Flop, Tarek Musa. Tarek actually pitched a show to the network about flipping homes. And guess how many homes he had flipped before he pitched the show? Zero, zero, zero. He had never flipped a home in his life, yet now he has the number one show on HGTV. He has two shows now, and he's got a company teaching people how to flip that's doing tens of millions of dollars in revenue. He's like the biggest guy online ever, but when he pitched the show, he was totally broke. He was in debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars. He was. He actually got on TV as a last minute, like, let me get out of this whole situation. If I can get famous, maybe that'll help me kind of get out of this. And Tarek told me that he literally pitched the show to HGTV, having flipped zero homes. And so if you go back to season one, they've now done 11 seasons. If you go back to season one, he said that he was learning on live television because it pressured him. And he said that the producers just never asked. They never asked how many properties. They just assumed 
that he knew what he was doing and they started filming and and that pre- and then he said that pressured him to go holy shit our shows you know once they got a green light on the show which is another crazy story he literally just imperfectly had a friend film it and put a pilot together i mean you talk about imperfect action with zero experience just threw it at the wall and now he's the most credible guy ever and he talks about the fact that when he pitched the show he knew a lot of real estate investors who've done 10 deals or 20 deals or 50 deals or 100 deals that told themselves well, I'm going to wait till I get a few more deals before I pitch the show, right? This this assumption that you have to wait and that never comes versus the guy that goes, fuck it, I'm ready. Give me the audition. Let me do it now. You know, he's the guy that's going to that's gonna get ahead. Most people are so scared that they disguise that fear as I'm not ready when it's really, I can't handle it. So I love that. So let's talk about fear. Yeah. Okay. You know, I mean... You interview some some big people. Do you ever get nervous? You... All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. I, all the time I get nervous. But to me, it's at this stage, I've done it so many times that I think of it very similar to probably how a boxer thinks about it getting in the ring, right? Like, I'm sure they're scared shitless, but they can't show it. And they just know somehow it'll be over by the end of the day. So I just kind of I just kind of put a pause on my reactions to the emotions I'm feeling and then I'll feel them after it's over. But yeah, all the time, especially when I started early on, I had no business in the room. There were times where, you know, I didn't even have, I didn't even have gas to get to my interviews, you know, let alone I'd be interviewing billionaires in their mansions and asking them about all sorts of stuff. And I couldn't even afford lunch after the interview. I couldn't afford gas to the interview. I'd have friends drop me off in exchange for letting them come hang out on set. You know, so it's, it was uh, incredibly nerve wracking. You know, when I have friends now who are nervous to talk to girls or something, I'm like, man, you have no idea. That's nothing compared to the nerves of steel I've had to go through when you have, you know, you have five, six cameras on you. You've got, you know, these billion dollar entrepreneurs and it's all on you and you have to hold the carry the conversation and any little slip. It's, you know, there's no pause intermission. There's no script. It's all on me to carry it. With zero experience, I just assumed this was my job. You know, sometimes, sometimes I laugh at it because nobody told me to do this. Nobody, nobody hired me to do this. Nobody, you know, put me up to do this. I just woke up and kind of like we talked about at the top of the interview. I just, I just assumed this is what I do. This is my job. I have to figure out how to sit down with them and book them and interview them and 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 get a lot of views and figure out how to make money. I just assumed it was my job and. In the beginning, you know, I went six figures in debt. Literally, I was over a hundred grand in debt, scared shitless. But for, I was so pulled by it. I don't know why. Even now, it doesn't back to the logical. It doesn't make logical sense. But I just had such a pull that I just figured, fuck it, just keep going, and it'll, I'll figure it out. It'll, it'll, it'll all work out, and and I'll be one of the cool people that gets to tell their story about how they undid the debt. And, you know, and now that happened. <laughs> you know, so once you get in momentum, it's like. There's a book by Dr. Susan Jeffers who nails it. The book is called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyways. And I think that's really the only way to do it. The only way, uh, what do they say? The only way to it is through it. Yeah. You know, so. You'll be able to dance with fear. You know, it's, it's truly, yeah. listen, this is so outside my comfort zone doing right. like interviews because I'm an actor, man. I like to hide behind the character, you know? I like to become somebody else. So it's not me the character i can do anything as the character right when i started doing this podcast it had to be me in looking at a camera i don't look at cameras that's that's a no-no in acting 
but right. having to look into a camera. And so it's really uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I truly had to get out outside my comfort zone, you know, getting on with you before you get that little adrenaline, adrenaline. starts, yeah. the heart starts pounding or whatever. Yeah. And now when I feel that I go cool, man, because that tells me that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. I, that's like green light go now, you know, yeah. when I feel that it's, it's me being excited, you know, because I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That's, you know, right. that's I'm right. not getting that feeling. I'm not getting that little heart rush. You know, it's like, uh oh, you're not you're not on the right path. Right. You know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and also that's what makes you feel alive. You know, after a while it becomes kind of like a like a healthy drug. Like, oh, I need I need a new I need to level up the adrenaline. <laughs> right. And then and then when when you link up that adrenaline helps other people, oh man. Cause then I think, oh man, oh. You know, people have messaged me all the time. They're like, how did you get this person to interview? How did you get this person to sit down? How did you get this? And while at the time it was nerve wracking, later I'm like, damn, me going through my nerve was in service. You know, my nerves was in service to others. And then now it's like not Omar's nervous. It's like I think about I, I neuro associate to their excitement and their excitement exceeds my my fear you know they did it they, on the snow bill it's actually and i got this from tony they did a study of rock stars who go on stage whether it was uh, the rolling stones they did it with metallica red hot chili peppers all sorts of different bands and they like did like a a, a measurement of them through i forget if it's acrylic photography or, or whatever it was they did some sort of gauge measure of the adrenaline their heart rate their pulse and they found that it's actually the same exact read as what other people label as an anxiety attack, right? So on a cellular level, it appears exactly the same. The difference is how the individual is labeling that experience because one will label it anxiety, one will label it excitement, right? One labels it worry, one labels it enthusiasm. And I think it was Tony Robbins who said he asked, uh, I forget what rock star he said, you know, what keeps you going after all these years? You know, you started the band in your 20s, you're here in your 60s, still rocking and rolling. You know, what keeps you going? And and the guy goes, you know, to be honest with you, it's the, those front row blondes. <laughs> you know, knowing that there's an audience that loves it, it makes the adrenaline worth it. So for me, I can relate to that. Maybe not with the front row blondes, but definitely with my audience feeling like, man, the more I go through my fears, the more I can help them uncover theirs, you know, by the content we can pull out. So, you know, it, it becomes, it's not about me. It's about the show must go on no matter how I feel, how I feel is irrelevant, you know? Awesome. You know, I tell my actors all the time, you know, when they feel that and they call it nervous, they go, no, it's excitement. Let's delete yeah. nervous from your acting vocabulary. Whenever you feel that it's excitement and you want that, that's like batteries, you know? That's like, mm-hmm. you know, that's like Michael Jordan, you know, with three seconds left on the clock. You know, he's got that adrenaline pumping through his veins, but, you know, he gets that laser focus. You know, he can make that that's shot, you know. I mean, it is right. a thousand baskets that he shot in the morning, you know, the, you know, practice. But, you know, it's that adrenaline. It's like you need that. It focuses you, you know, so it's that's a right. good thing. So take that and 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 channel it and make it, you know your batteries to get you where you want to go. Absolutely. Use it. Yeah, absolutely. And there are energy reserves in there that are not there when you're, you know, calm as a cucumber on a couch. You know, there are that that's where your power comes from. That's where creativity comes from, your spontaneity, your genius, your special, your specialness, 
happens when you're under pressure like that and you got to figure it out. That is the dream. Learning how to wrestle with that, that is the dream. The dream is not working while you're calm and relaxed. The dream is that extra little bit of excitement. That's why you wanted the dream, you know? Uh, so I try to remind myself of that too. Love that. So, you know, you mentioned books. So, you know, what, what are some of the books that you have read or people have told you about, you know, that, that you would recommend for people to read? Absolutely. So three books I would recommend. Number one, and I mentioned it in the interview, there's a book by a doctor, PhD. Her name is Susan Jeffers. Easy read. It's called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyways. Feel the Fear and Do It Anyways. And while the book pretty much sums up the whole thing, if you read it, it's an easy read. It really breaks down the science of fear and what it is on a conscious and unconscious level and actually makes it a lot more simple, exciting, and friendly than you realize. Because fear is actually meant to be our friend. It's a, it's a biological gift from the creator that is meant to aid us. And, and it will do you more good than harm. You know how to appropriately deal with it. So that's huge. Feel the fear and do it anyways. Number two, there's a book by Gary Keller called The One Thing. Probably my favorite book at the moment. It's called The One Thing. And it talks about how all of us in the myriad of all these competing things in life for our time, whether it be our relationship or kids or money or the business or our craft or you know, family or obligations or whatever things pulling at us, how by focusing on like fewer things with more efficiency actually makes life easier, makes those things in your mind that you think are like stressing you out a lot easier uh, by focusing on the one big domino that knocks down the rest as opposed to trying to manually knock down every domino. It's called The One Thing by Gary Keller, the founder of Keller Williams, the real estate company. And last but not least has to be my man, Tony Robbins, Unlimited Power. He has more books, but the two books that I really read early on were his book, Awaken the Giant Within and Unlimited Power. And Unlimited Power, once I read it, my brain couldn't go back. It was permanently shifted. So those are the ones I'd recommend. And if and here's a little fourth bonus one. If you're trying to find your purpose or your passion, or maybe you already found it, but you're trying to get some more confidence or resilience to keep going on the path, there's a book by Paulo Coelho, you probably heard of it, called The Alchemist. I highly, highly, highly recommend The Alchemist. It's a very easy read and a lot of parallels are in it that you'll find in your own life and your own journey of trying to bump into the walls and figure things out and know that, you know, if you just stay the course, you'll be all right. Most of the time you're just getting in your own way and a lot of us psych ourselves out when the path is already going to work out quite nicely if we just stop freaking out and just kind of follow the yellow brick road. <laughs> mm -hmm. Love that. Yeah. So if you go back mm -hmm. and give the little you Yes. Advice, some life advice, you know, or yes. you know, career advice or whatever advice. If you could go back and talk to the teenage you, what would that advice be? My advice to the teenage me would be don't waste time with the wrong people, the wrong relationships. That is my only regrets in life. People say don't live with regret. I get it from a poetic perspective, but I'd be honest, I have some regrets and I think the biggest regrets I have are, are hanging out for the, with the wrong people for far too long. I didn't mind the booze or the alcohol, the weed, the, you know, all the things I did. I mean, you know, you learn as you grow, but it's really the people that I wasted time and energy and resources with. That's one thing I wouldn't do. In terms of what I would do more of is I would have at a younger age and much sooner, you know, think bigger sooner you know, think bigger sooner. Instead of, you know, looking around at all my friends who are complaining about getting a job or working at a shitty job, I would have gone to whatever, be a janitor at a Ferrari dealership 
or I would have gone to, you know, go if there's a luxury hotel you like, go be a bellman there or valet there. I would have put myself in proximity to the things I was inspired by. And even going into my early 20s, you know, like I knocked door to door and solar and blah, blah, blah. Like all these things I tried, I tried with the intent to make money or do something to grow my life. But as I look back, I find that the only things that are memorable, the only things I'm grateful for, the only things that I really hold on to are when I leaned on my inspirations, even when they made no logical sense to the environment around me. I would do more of what inspires you and less of what logically looks good to other people. And I think when you do that, you uncover your truest gifts, your truest talents, your most honest truths, and you live a much more inspired life, a much more fulfilling life than if you just kind of look around and copy what everybody else is doing in safety. So for me, that's what I would have done more of. I would have trusted my inspirations more than I doubted them and pursued them and tasted them. And, and even if I, you know, went for it, say, say I, you know, I'm glad that I, uh, I did do a lot of things that I enjoyed and I'm glad I did them. But there's a lot of things that I just intellectually justified as being a safer play and being better. And I look back and think that didn't really serve, you know, that didn't really serve me <laughs> there. You know, the things that serve me the most are the, when you're an inspired energy and there's a, there's a philosophy I live by. And that is that if you don't fill your day with high priority actions that inspire you, by default, your day will fill up with low priority distractions that don't. And so I think by default, anything that's uninspiring in your life, by default is going to end up pretty uninspiring. And if you have more of that desperation and inspiration, that's not a very fulfilling life. But on the contrary, if you fill it with things that are meaningful, inspiring, exciting, even in the simple things, even if it's you know, little things, you know, whether it's the dynamic of the communication in your intimate relationship, or it's, you know, playing music you like that other people think is lame, or, or a piece of art you like, or, you know, whatever it is, just the more you do things that are you, the more you'll find yourself in a flow state, and you're sort of riding the wave instead of fighting the current in life. And uh, I think people that really live their dreams at the highest level are riding the wave more than they're fighting the current. Beautifully said. (laughs) I love that. You know, listen, you know, it's like my mother used to tell me, if you lay down with dogs, you get fleas. You know, so who you surround, the proximity is power. Who you're surrounding yourself with, you know? So Mm -hmm. I love that. I know you got a lot of big things going on. What's next for Omar? You know, what's 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 next on that? Yeah, man. Yeah, so so I'm asked that question all the time. And to be honest with you, my answer is really probably similar to what Kobe Bryant's answer would be if he was still in the NBA. And that is that I just love what I'm doing so much. I can't even see beyond it. I mean, I I think of things or things I would like to do and things we're working on, but I just want to keep doing more of what we're already doing, man. I love it so much that I just want to keep getting better and better at it. Obviously, we got bigger and bigger names coming up. But I think for me, the the interesting challenge is figuring out how to, in such a, a crowded or saturated social media world with you know, new platforms and new things constantly evolving is how do I build, how do I continue to build in verticals that will in the long haul prevail? You know, how do I, how do I do something that's not just, you know, a body of work that's disposable? How do I really build a body of work that continues to live on? What are, what is it? Is it, is it platforms? Is it TV? Is it, is it coming up with my own platform to do more and more of this stuff? Is it diversifying past interview stuff? So 
you know, and I think you're, we're seeing that evolution with everybody, even the Tony Robbinses of the world, or even these other people who are evolving their business models and trying new things in this digital world. I think it's an exciting time, but it's also a little bit scary for a lot of people, depending on how you label it, right? And so for me, it's it. I just want to do more of what I'm already doing in a bigger and bigger way that you know stands the test of time. You know, for me, what I'm most proud of is building a body of work to feel like at the end of my life. I'll have a body of work to show for my life. That to me is the most exciting thought ever. That when I'm dead gone and nothing but a pile of dust, there'll be a body of work that continues to uplift people, inspire people, excite people. And that thrills the shit out of me. And I just want to keep doing that. And if we can continue to build our businesses doing that, that's a win across the board to me. That's awesome. You know, that's a, I mean, that's, I look back now, you know, you talked about social media and, and for me, this is all new. I mean, I'm not, I, before I, I, I'm, I'm, I said, I didn't believe in social media. You know, my wife, would be like, hey, I don't do social media, but then, you know, I had to pivot. I go, listen, if I want to spread my, 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 my voice, I, I have to be on social media. I have to, you know, tell my story, you know, and right. get outside my comfort zone because, you know, there's, there's somebody out there, somebody wherever in the world that, you know, if they, if I can touch one person's life, make a difference in that one person's life and make them go after their dreams and you know whatever it is and then I've done my job you know I truly I've done my job and, and leaving my legacy my destiny that turns me on you know because listen I, I have all these films and tv shows that they'll live on forever you know the pretty woman's and those things those things will live on forever but now I'm creating this like my youtube channel you know, my, my podcast, right. you know, that that's going to live on too. Yeah. all this gold that you dropped today. Somebody's going to be able to listen to it 10 years from now, a hundred years from now and go, wow, I learned something. So that turns me on too. It really excites me about, you know, being able to leave something behind, you know, when I'm yeah. gone, that there's, there's something that a legacy that's left behind. Absolutely, man. And, and the fact, and I'm juiced, man. Sometimes I trip out because I'm like, holy shit, I'm alive, man. <laughs> you know, if you think about it, because one day we won't be. And, and the fact that we are, no, no matter how difficult or challenging or whatever, I always remind myself, like, I'm alive. And if you're alive, there's, you know, if I'm alive, I'm not in jail or I'm not in a courtroom. It's all good. It's all good, you know? And so uh, building a body of work I'm proud of to help other people elevate, for me, is my focus, man. So. I just want to keep living the dream. Awesome. Well, that's what it's about. You know, it's the Hollywood dream maker. You made that dream a reality. So, you know, I'm honored. Thank you, brother. Thanks for coming on the show. Keep just dropping some serious gold. So if people want to, you know, follow you, get in touch with you, where would they find you? Yeah. So they could find me on YouTube, search The Passionate Few. You could also search my name, Omar Elatar, O-M-A-R. E-L-A-T-T-A-R. I'm sure it'll be spelled correctly somewhere on the video. Or you can find me on Instagram at Omar underscore the rock star. So yeah, find me there. And if you enjoyed this interview, shoot me a message, let me know. And again, Billy, man, honored to have you on. And I've been following what you're doing. And I think it's epic, man. So keep helping make people's dream a reality. I love that. But I had you on. You were on my show. (laughs) (laughs) So it's thank you for inspiring me to create this show. Because truly... You were the, the first person that, you know, planted that seed of the podcast. You know, if destiny put us together in, in those chairs, 
You know, this podcast may not be, I mean, I probably won't be if it wasn't for that little seed that was planted in there. So, you know, I get to touch a lot of people's lives because you inspired me. So continue doing what you're doing, brother. Thank you, brother. And I appreciate you for being one of the passionate few, Billy. Thank you. <laughs> stay safe, stay healthy. Oh, and man. hopefully when these things comes down, I'd love to have you here at the studio, man. You got to come in. Let's do it, man. And I'm going to, I'm going to set a one year goal. I'm going to be in a movie or a show within one year of this, of this day. What's today? Okay. It is May 10th, 2021. Well, see, so you just, you just put that into the universe. And, and here's the thing, Omar, that's what I do all day long. I have actors knock on my door. They have a dream. They don't know how to get started. And by the time I'm done with them, they're working act. So my door's open, man. All you got to do is call me. It gets me to working, man. Cool, man. Let's All do right. it. All right. All right Billy. Take All right. it easy, brother. Right. And I uh, appreciate you. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate you. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Please rate, review, share this with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't. Please take whatever you get from here, the golden nuggets, and apply them to your career. Go after your dreams with passion. Don't let anybody tell you it can't be done. I believe in you. Follow your dreams. I'll see you in Hollywood.